This is an ABC podcast. Is that your real face? Or is it a filter? Yes, this week on Download This Show, France is looking at changing the rules for what influencers and content creators can do and share online on social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok. Plus, can you sue artificial intelligence for when it gets things wrong? And is it time that we all registered our face so that future generations can't animate them for money? All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to download this show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download the Show, and we have new guests. It's been a while since we've had totally new guests. Jessica Sire, tech reporter from the AFR, welcome to Download the Show. Thanks for having me. I had my, like, you know, ringmaster voice on there. Yeah, I'm here in the ring. <laughs> you are. Uh, and joining Jessica is Kate Weber, tech journalist from IT News. Welcome to Download the Show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's so early in the in the relationship that I haven't come up with like like fake job titles for you, like reigning overlord queen of all things AFR. We'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. Uh, lots to work through in the show this week. But first up, if you are an influencer, well done to you for making money out of that. Secondly, if you happen to be in France, it seems, Kate, that rules are about to change for what influencers can and can't post. What's happened? And please, please, please do it with a French accent. I will... Right, but uh, this, uh, I do not know that this is French or some type of uh, European. Oh, magnifique! <laughs> wow. I do not know. It is simply European, no? Apologies to anyone I am offending. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause. <laughs> as far as like first time on the show hazing goes, that was exceptional. Oh, you, may revert, <laughs> you may revert back to your standard accent now. What's changed to influencers in France? Yeah, so it's actually pretty cool. So the National Assembly in France has kind of introduced this bill that will see uh, some new laws hopefully passed and implemented that will see influencers have to basically be way more transparent about paid partnerships, sponsorships, the, the agenda behind a lot of their content. And it will also see a lot of these social media platforms have to implement new tools where people can actually flag any violations of the laws that are hoping to be introduced. You know, at the moment, um, a lot of people might say, oh, this is paid content, or have it somewhere, but this will be like a new banner kind of right at the front that says paid partnership or something to that effect. And that way people are far more aware of what what they're actually seeing. And it's kind of like obviously hoping to combat scams, just the amount of influencers that seem to be out there and really just, you know, just the impact these influencers have on like younger generations, you know, and really just limit, say, cosmetic surgery, uh, advertisements, tobacco, gambling, all that kind of stuff and kind of really get people to understand what is reality and like what is like what they're actually seeing. I love that it's like not not a small goal. Understand what is reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very very simple. I think a lot a lot of it does seem to be kind of anchored around um, health and beauty standards. For you, Jess, just uh, straight out the back, Jess's judgment: uh, good or bad move? It feels like quite an ambitious move, and it feels like the government's really taking the side of consumers or or the the absorbers of social media. Um, I think one of the elements of the the proposal is to uh, force people to 
broadcast when they're using a filter. And I think that's quite extraordinary because there is a lot of like augmentation that goes on with people's bodies and, and faces and things. So uh, to try and combat feels very ambitious. I wonder, I mean, I just love when markets sort of take on a life of their own. So I wonder how people will start to get around this. Mm, but yeah. it does feel like a, a thing in which the Gen Zs and alphas that I speak to are so aware of media manipulation already. I think that is this great trend in young people is they are aware that things can be messed around with on the internet. It's the boomers we need to worry about. (laughs) They aren't necessarily sure about what they're seeing, whereas young people are really in tune to that. Yeah, I just I wonder whether or not it'll be accepted and I wonder whether or not uh, how much of an impact it'll have. It is interesting you were talking about filters earlier because, you know, when we talk about filters, it's actually these days actually very broad selection of features, right? Mm. So you do have those filters that can fully change your facial structure, your, your skin tone, and then also there's just like the generic ones that make the light prettier and things like that. Is it a good idea to be conflating those things, do you think? Or or should it be should it be that the rules make a clearer distinction of things that are, you know, to, to speak to your point earlier, Kate, about, you know, what is making things look real and what is pushing things into the realm of fantasy? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Like, I guess it kind of boils down to is that money being exchanged between like the influencer and a company trying to push a specific message and then not being fully transparent about how they're creating this message. Also, maybe like what really classifies as an influencer. Like, I'm just mm. an average person. My Instagram, which I, I, I love and I use all the filters, it's on private. I'm not really influencing anyone. I don't think the laws were like really be towards like that type of thing. I think it's kind of more the people where money is being exchanged. And I think as Jess was saying before, these influencers, these companies, they might just try and find a workaround, especially since this French law, I think it kind of clarifies or defines an influencer as someone just like kind of like spreading a message through electronic means. So That's very broad. Mm. Yeah, like like what if you just say, oh, no, I'm not an influencer. I'm actually a personality. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or no, Con- Content creator. Yeah, yeah, I'm a content creator. Or, you know, instead of, you know, electronically via YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, I've now got, I'm now on the magazine, which is print. That's mm. completely different. So I, I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting about what these lines are and how they'll be defined. Yeah. Kate, what would you like to have seen them change? And I guess not specifically France, but just like how we all interact with with social media. Are there are there rules that you think, do you know what, we probably should have that now? Are there things that, that you think you'd like to change now about how influencers and content creators depict themselves online at the moment? Yeah, I think maybe just in general, as we've already discussed, just greater transparency, I guess. I know like at the moment, I think here in Australia, like there are rules and regulations where you do have to put like a little hashtag ad, hashtag gift mm. on posts, which I think is great. But even then, you know, influencers might bury that in the the read more caption, <laughs> you know, where they don't... Below the fold. Yeah, they just keep... Yeah, space, 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 and you wouldn't actually really know. So maybe just something that's more upfront about ads and sponsorships and everything might be really great. But yeah, I, I guess it's one of those hard things because what when, does, when do you become an influencer, I guess, when you hit a certain amount of... Followers, when you start when you earning money, when you've got a coupon code, I you're an influencer. I definitely find so. I'm financial journalist and I cover you know stock spruikers and guys who are spruiking, spruiking cryptocurrencies and things like that. And very often, no shortage is, of those. No, <laughs> well, that's right. And the idea of disclosing whether or not you have any licensing with which 
like or or any qualifications with which to dispense this advice. Uh, I think that is really needed in Australia and, and places all over the world. And I know that's not quite the same as like facial augmentation and things like that, but there are people building newsletters and building communities built around their opinion on what you should be buying and selling. And very rarely do people know that this is just some dude <laughs> with an iPhone in Toowoomba who's um, broadcasting his views and things. So um, I do wonder with uh, social media sort of bleeds over into these other realms of um, information being dispensed across the internet. I know that Australia was kind of one of the first movers with getting hashtag ad and hashtag sponsor mm. um, put into a code. I don't know whether or not people are pinged or penalised for not disclosing their paid partnerships in Australia now. I mean, perhaps they might be, but you need someone to actually go in and bring a case or an allegation or uh, some against someone. Um, Brands themselves and advertising agencies tend to be quite antsy about it because they're the ones who are on the hook reputationally sure. more than the influencer. Influencers, this is going to sound terrible, but they can kind of... They're, they're just a, the face. They're a bit dime a dozen, yeah. right? There's a lot of them out there. And, and the market's increasingly moved around sort of micro-influencers. So somebody who's specifically an expert in one particular thing has a highly engaged following... And they, there are a lot of those, whereas if a brand gets um, pinged for not having displays of ad next to their, they're the ones I've noticed that get much more concerned about it than necessarily the, the influencers themselves. Actually, on that point, how often do you reckon you look at something, Kate, on Instagram or Twitter and it, it takes you a while to realise actually what you're looking at is, is an ad? Do you feel like it happens often that things take a while for you to go, oh, I see what's happening here? Not anymore, I don't think. I think Jess mentioned earlier, younger generations are way more in tune to the fact that pretty much everything is an ad or something <laughs> or everything's had some type of manipulation done to it. And I kind of feel like us millennials sort of grew up with that a little bit. Like when I think it first happened, we weren't really aware. You know, we really thought those, you know, beauty influencers really did love that, you know, particular Mac makeup or whatever. But I think as the technology is growing, we have grown up with it. So I do, I guess when I am scrolling, if it's not someone who is my close friend or relative, if it's someone I'm following because I know they're like, I guess, a little personality in the, you know, that particularly community, that's why I'm following them. I guess I am aware, you know, there might be a little bit of a a paid post behind it. Um, I kind of wouldn't say expect it, um, but it wouldn't necessarily shock me either (laughs) if that's what it turned out to be. And I think, you know, again, with these rules, like a lot of them do say, hashtag ad, hashtag whatever. Um, So it is becoming a little bit more transparent. And because I guess we're just so used to using all the filters and photo manipulation now that just almost it's like embedded into the experience we expect from an Mm. influencer if you're going to follow them. Like we kind of know what we're getting in a a little bit. (laughs) For you? Well, I'm a total devotee of TikTok. Ah. Like I could sink some hours into that app, man. I think that is so much fun over there the businesses have gotten sneaky with their content. Like it slips right in and I don't necessarily know that I'm watching an, a commercial for something when it just comes across as a total meme video. And um, you never read the text at the bottom. No. The, no one ever does. Like, at least with Instagram, it's kind of you have to scroll past it before you do it. But like TikTok, it's like it's all about what's happening in that, you know, the top left and the, the top left hand of totally. the screen, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, but having said that, I think I have developed a subconscious, like, because you're flicking through these videos, man, like you're pumping through them. And if something looks like an ad, feels like an ad, I breeze right past it. Like, 
Yeah, very rarely do do those kind of ads suck my attention in or would I make a purchasing decision. Having said that, companies are definitely reporting that they are pulling revenue in and eyeballs in from TikTok in those kind of platforms. So it definitely works in some capacity. TikTok's also a great place for people to build these micro-influencing communities like on book talk or you can find any kind of talk that you're into clean talk whatever and it's really easy to start saying say you're on clean talk you should be using this i use this detergent for this reason or whatever i think these french laws are kind of focusing on that micro influencing universe where it's really quickly uh, you can build them really fast and the um, facial augmentation is so complete. Like you can just do so many things on TikTok to your face. It's um, scary. Yeah. So scary. <laughs> so like if you are advertised, like you're doing a hair thing or makeup or whatever and you're actually using a filter, you should disclose that. I, that feels like what these laws are sort of getting at. So Download the shows, what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Jessica Sire from the AFR and Kate Webber from IT News. Mark Fennell is my name and... We've talked a lot about ChatGPT on the show over the last couple of weeks. It's become the new most exciting thing to talk about. It's also apparently, uh, Jess, become the new most exciting thing to sue. Yes. Somebody's suing the AI that you can kind of get to write or rewrite just about anything. I, I will put a shout out here to the person that complained last week. Somebody said on the show that uh, ChatGPT can code just about anything. I'm sure you can code better than it. Uh, but the point is that ChatGPT has been sued. By who? And why? So there's this guy in Victoria, I think, called Brian Hood, who was the whistleblower on a big scandal to do with note printing in Australia a couple of years ago. And he's suing OpenAI because ChatGPT basically spat out an answer that accused him or said that he was the guy that had been paying all these bribes and was caught up in the scandal rather than the guy who actually blew the lid off the whole thing. And so he's suing OpenAI for defamation, saying that they have published something that is not only a little bit wrong, it's so incredibly inversely wrong uh, that that's going to damage his reputation. I think it's also relevant to point out that he's the mayor of his local town, so he's an elected official, and uh, he says that this would be particularly damaging to his reputation. The point has been made a few times, Kate, that um, ChatGPT is a language model. It's not Google. It's, it shouldn't be relied on for facts. And I think anybody that's ever tried to rely on ChatGPT for facts has basically discovered what... Brian's discovered. I guess the thing that I find weird about this is now you have to click through 14,000 caveats to use it. And one of those I'm pretty sure is like, don't trust us for facts. So is this like, I mean, I I guess this is going to be something that ends up before the court. So we'll kind of navigate around it. But it's like, do we think we're going to see more of these kinds of, of cases? I think so. I think even though ChatGPT, when you use it, it does say something like, you know, we're, we're just a generative AI, like don't take us as some all-knowing oracle with just a tool for you to use. Even though it does make that clear, like in its T's and C's, I do think there will be more of these like defamation cases moving forward because I don't think people still fully understand what chat GPT even is. Like even it can have all these warnings, but people still haven't, it's so new. People don't fully understand what it is or what its role is. So people will still kind of take what the chat GPT says as Bible. You know, I guess maybe it's an argument that we do have to be more, take more initiative in like not just trusting whatever the internet says. And I think we've, we've always kind of known that, but I guess this will kind of really enforce the importance of not just trusting what this great, awesome new technology <laughs> just tells us. Because we like, where did it even get that information from, really? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the show that just as a test, I, I basically asked a bunch of questions about me, things mm. I knew I could verify. And it's like, according to ChatGPT, I was the host of Thank God You're Here, which I've never yeah. done. It's like, mm. So it's like, I think I, until you play with it, it, 
it's very and on a subject that you know about. And being a megalomaniac TV presenter, I went with the thing I knew most about. <laughs> but until you do that, it's it's not actually clear how wrong it is on things. Mm. And I think part of the issue with that, Jess, is is that it speaks with such authority. Yeah, it's so convincing at talking to you and and producing flawless language. It's just like, oh, okay, well, maybe I maybe I, I maybe I did host that. Yeah, totally. Have to double check. I should check my royalties on that. You know what I mean? Like, maybe <laughs> you should. Is that the issue though? Do you think that the, the fact that it's such a convincing communicator yes. that that's where things go wrong? Yes, I think so. And I think I mean we're all experimenting with ways we can use this tech to like make boring parts of our jobs better or easier. And so, yeah, writing copy is an absolute pain in the ass for a lot of people in their jobs. And so if you can get this thing to churn out words, that'll save you oodles of time. And because it writes with this wonderful sense of authority, let's run that, uh, but without checking. I think one of the other problems with this thing is the way the model works is that it, it has a word and then it scrapes the whole internet to find the likelihood of the next word. It's not it's not based on on collating facts and then finding the most likely fact. It's just literally what, what is the probable next word in a string of words. What and that's, correct on crack. Once you understand that that's how the model works, you can see that it is language before truth in in every respect, right? It is it is just about making coherent sentences, not about making coherent facts. And I think once that sort of like permeates the the consciousness of all of us, we'll see less of these lawsuits. But I do think that this is going to be interesting case law. Anything that's sort of new and can test the court's response to new technology, I'm always here for. I guess, yeah. So I guess the difference is there was a case which had some similar touch points a while back with Google, where Google was kind of brought to task for publishing information about a person who was accused, who it, you know, framed as being accused of a crime. The difference is that that is in such a public sort of public arena, whereas I think the point you're making is the fact that when you talk to ChatGPT, it's you talking to ChatGPT. And part of the question marks here is like, well, if it gave me that response, does it give someone else that response? And that's actually quite a hard thing to navigate, right? Like, because every time, I mean, every AI program you use, and this isn't limited to ChatGPT, it's like open, um, you know, the, the the visual ones like MidJourney and stuff like that, where you can get it to kind of produce art. The one thing it always says is every time, every single time you ask it to process an inquiry, like paint a picture for me, like, you know, uh, Rembrandt, right? Every time you ask to do that, it will produce different results, right? So it's not just a case of like the same ingredients produces the same meal. So coming back out to prove the idea that, well, if it said to me that I was this, will it say it to somebody else? I would imagine it's quite complicated to navigate. I think you bang on, yeah. yeah. And it'll also be interesting to see if they consider like what's the likelihood of the average person using ChatGP to go in and say, hey, tell me about this gentleman, the, the mayor in a Victorian country town. Mm. Like, you know, I guess if something's been taken from Google and put onto, say, uh, some other platform, then potentially more eyes might be on that because I don't know, maybe it's a new site and it falls in their featured stories or whatever. Um, but like, I guess I wonder if they take into account like how many people are really going to Google? I guess he's a, like a mayor, so he's a public figure. But again, as you say, if well, even if lots of people were using ChatGPT to find out, hey, who is this guy? I wonder, as you mentioned before, like what's going to get a different result potentially each time it happens? So... There's a lot of different like legal ramifications, obviously, with ChatGPT. And I was talking to the guys at Canva recently. They make this design platform and they've rolled out this whole suite of like AI generative image generators, right? Oh, and they? so, yeah. And so 
And they use like a generative AI backend to make all of these new images in your templates and in your designs and things. And I ask them like, who owns the copyright of this stuff? Like if I'm in your software telling the bot to make me an image, do I own the image? Do you guys own it? Does Can the technology itself be the owner of the copyright of that image? And um, and they were basically like, look, we don't know yet. Like we're, mm. we're keeping an eye on it, but it, these things need to go through the courts to actually figure out who the publisher is for in this defamation instance or who the creator of the image is. And they've told me that um, the user of the software owns the copyright. If they're instructing the machine to generate an image, I'm... That, or that person owns the copyright of the image, not the bot itself. But um, there are pl- jurisdictions around the world where they're just trying to test whether or not the machine can own it or if the company owns it. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. If you happen to have been on TikTok or Instagram in the last couple of years, you may have come across these videos that seem very much like Tom Cruise is doing all kinds of random things like Tom Cruise dances or Tom Cruise backflips. And actually, it's not him. It's, uh, it's AI. Somebody's basically taken his face and they've put it on another person. And it's raised a big debate, actually, with the company that are responsible for those um, viral videos in the first place, whether movie stars... And actually anybody who, whose face is online, i.e. all of us, should be registering or controlling their likeness and how do you actually do that? And it does feed exactly into what you were just saying before about whether artists have any kind of control over when their, their art style is being sort of ripped off or interpreted by, by AI. So exactly what's happened with this company? What have they, they come out and asked for? Uh, yeah, so the CEO of an AI tech firm, Metaphysic, uh, the CEO, Tom Graham, he's submitted his AI likeness for copyright registration with the US Copyright Office. Uh, I think he's hoping to set a precedent that public figures, you know, to protect their digital identity, like especially in the age of all these, you know, AI likeness and generative AI. Um, It is kind of interesting that he's the one doing it, especially as you mentioned, he's also, his company created all these Tom Cruise uh, deepfakes, which... I'm very unsure if Tom Cruise, like, ever consented to this. Um, But I guess he's hoping, you know, if more people kind of start copywriting their AI likeness. He's very into Web3 and the metaverse. And as you create AI avatars, your, I guess, your AI likeness will be protected and will stop other people uh, basically stealing it and, I guess, using it for malicious reasons. Why would the company that uh, have become famous for these kind of these viral videos. Why would they be leading the charge on this? What's what's in it for them? I think he's like quite big in like the metaverse world. So if he can get on the footfront, like the forefront of you know getting people's digital identity and really helping them create their own uh, copyrighted likeness and having it protected, I guess he can potentially use that to say, hey, this is safe come jump on board my metaverse if you've got your own protected avatar. Mm. I, don't, I think it's really, really interesting. Um, and, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's that's the motivation here. I think all of this work around the world is being done with tokenization and privacy and how do we actually give the, the, the bundle of rights to the individual to protect their own data when they interact with software that hoovers it up around the place. We're putting parameters around that. And this is an extension of that. This is just your physical likeness. And his 
technology or his company can show you, well, look, once you've got, once you own it, you can do all kinds of crazy things with um, this imagery. Look what we've done with Tom Cruise. If you are interested in protecting your own likeness because you can monetize it, let's say that you're a celebrity or something, consider it. I think that's it's yeah. moving it into a regulated industry, right? It's like, it's basically, at the moment, a lot of this is pretty Wild Westy at the moment, like particularly when it comes to internet culture, as, you know, Tom Cruise is a perfectly good example, ready-made for memification. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the logic of it, as I'm hearing from both of you, is that once you introduce structures where things can be licensed and paid for and, and there's very clear of like chain of ownership over my face. God, that sounds weird when you say it out loud. Um, suddenly you can monetize it in a very above board way. And at the moment, a lot of what's happening is in a sort of a gray area, you know, like for example, you know, when they used a bit of uh, Anthony Bourdain's voice in AI in the, the biopic they made out of him, you know, they had consent from family, from some parts of his family, but not the entirety. You know, like it, it's real gray area territory at the moment. And whenever it pops up and it's popping up a lot. Um, we're still in the, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this phase. And I guess to some extent, Kate, what this does is it shifts us into a space where, okay, well, there's now a chain of home who, you know, if this were to come into effect and if this were to become standardised, there would be a chain of like, well, I own, you know, the rights to my face, my kid's face, you own the kids. And what we do with that now has very clear ownership. How do you think it'll change the kind of content we make if that suddenly becomes more regulated, do you think? I'm not too sure, actually. Um, I guess because I keep thinking of like in terms of, where, well, when would you use your digital identity? Like when would you need to create like and protect your online likeness? And I guess like um, in terms of like the metaverse, if you're on that platform walking around and you want to be you, uh, you definitely want to make sure you have complete rights <laughs> to your own biometric data. Mm. Yeah, I guess like you really just want to make sure you feel safe the same way you feel safe in real life to walk around and transact, uh, you know, buy things, interact with other players that you actually also know who you're talking to as well. I could sell so many more products if I've got a likeness of Tom Cruise looking like he's vouching for my product in the metaverse. Mm. And this this feels like um, this guy's just pointing that out. It's like if you don't have ownership over your likeness, people will start to sell things under your banner without your consent consent or without your, like, you getting a cut of it. Part of me just wonders whether, like, existing rules around, like, estates. Because I remember when they started doing, like, computer-generated Marilyn Monroe and and I think it was a Coke ad back in the day. Like, part of me just wonders whether, like, the rules around estates and likenesses already cover for it a little bit. And maybe we need something that's a bit more up to date. Maybe because now more and more people are going to have their faces exist. Like, you know, every time you upload a picture of your face to, uh, you know, Midjourney, the AI um, generator I mentioned earlier, like it's now just in their servers. It's now just out there doing its thing, right? And I think, you know, more and more like non-Tom Cruise types are doing that. And I wonder if maybe there needs to be clearer rules and, and mechanisms that work not just for the Marilyn Monroes and Tom Cruises of the world, but everybody who's now constantly uploading their face, Jess. Yeah, I think you bang on. It'll be interesting to see how this copyright registration request goes, um, especially because he seems to be uh, kind of wanting to more public figures to jump on board. This technology is going to be used in a movie called Here, and it's got Tom Hanks and Robin Wright in it. And they're going to like use this technology in the movie for like de-aging uh, the characters. You know, it's almost like... The technology is here 
it's going to be moving forward. And it's almost like he's, like I said earlier, I guess, trying to be on the forefront to be like, well, there has to be some type of laws and regulations. And like if Tom Hanks and these famous actors and actresses are going to use it, then I guess it will just bring these issues that have been fully explored into the spotlight in a very big way, especially because it'll have all these celebrity names attached to it. I, for one, would like every piece of television of me to be put through AI, making me look like I'm 25 years old and mm-hmm. 15 kilos lighter. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody could make that happen, that would be sweet. But if you were in you France, might... you would have to disclose that. I was uh, going to say. <laughs> well done, I'm bringing it all around. <laughs> um, we are out of time, but I do want to say a huge thank you to our guests this week. Jessica Sire, tech reporter from the AFI, thank you so much for joining us on your very first episode of Download This Show. All right, I love the show. And it's Kate Weber, tech journalist from IT News. Thank you so much for coming on Download the Show. Oh, no, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Please come back and join us. Uh, my name is Mark Fennell. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Download This Show. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.